Hello and welcome to B2B Better, the podcast that exists to help companies rethink how they win new business. Each week, I sit down with marketers, creatives, and storytellers to break down the commercial strategies that actually work with the modern day buyer. Let's get started. Today on B2B Better, I'm very excited to be joined by Will Aitken, evangelist at SalesFeed and speaker and subject matter expert at Vidyard. How are you doing, Will? Very well, Jason. Thanks so much for having me on. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on. I first came across your famous TikTok and it feels a little bit like I'm talking to a celebrity, I've got to say. Yeah, some, a lot of people tell me that. And then I have to remind them I'm just some dude who makes a lot of sometimes funny videos on my phone. And it's funny, I was actually meeting a lot of people in person recently and they all feel like I don't know any of them, but they feel like they know me. It's this weird dynamic that happens with online relationships. But yeah, it's an interesting one. How does that feel to you? Because if I'm right in saying, you you were active on social media prior to TikTok, but it seems like TikTok has really taken off for you and pushed you into that at least marketing sales sphere of influence. How does it feel just to have people walking up to you and recognizing you and tell you, telling you that they, they feel like they know you? It feels good. I'll be honest. I was in Denver recently on a trip in the US and just some random dude pulled me over and said, are you the sales guy from TikTok? And I'll be honest, that really stroked my ego a little bit. <laughs> I enjoy that. Um, it's nice. And it's even better when you get the stories and the feedback. Sometimes when I'm lacking in motivation, I'll go back through messages that people have sent me saying, hey, you brought me value, you taught me something, or maybe even you just made me laugh. Those are really nice things to fall back on and gives me a, more of a reason to do this and keep doing this. So I think without all that, I probably wouldn't have had the motivation to continue. So I, I quite like it, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So before TikTok, you have had a long career in sales, particularly B2B tech sales, if I'm not mistaken. And we are here to today to talk about one of my favorite subjects, CRM, and how to make it work for you and for your company, because I've seen it set up and run so badly in the past, as I'm sure you have as well. Before we dig into that, tell me a little bit about your background. What do you do today? And, and how did you end up here? For sure. My my career up until this most recent role, which is more of a marketing role than anything, has been very sales focused. I started in B2C sales back in the UK when I lived there. I was working for Connell's group, the, the real estate agent, and I'm making cold calls there, huge volumes, moved to Australia, continued to do that for a bit, and then I got into recruitment, which is very sales adjacent as an agency recruiter. And while doing that, I was recruiting salespeople for companies. And while recruiting them for the likes of Salesforce and other software companies, I realized these people were making a lot of money. <laughs> and I was, recruiters get paid well as well if you do well. I was thinking I'd rather be doing that than this. So when I did move to Canada a few years after that, I, I made it my goal to work in software sales. And initially I didn't quite get there. I sold media for some time, but that allowed me to springboard into software without having to be an SDR, which is probably the hardest role the part of the whole process of working in software sales is doing that, that initial grind of cold calling and emailing. I managed to just transfer from recruiter to AE, which was a, a good experience. And what do you do today at SalesFeed, evangelist at SalesFeed and speaker and subject matter expert at Vidyard? As you say, that sounds more marketing. So you've joined the dark side, which I appreciate. But what does that mean on a kind of in practical terms on a day-to-day -day basis for you? So as an AE, at my previous company, Proposify, which is sales tech. So I was selling to sales leaders, often dealing with their CRM instances, which I'll tell you about in a minute, because we had to integrate there. While there, I started posting TikTok videos and content on the, it's just something to keep me, it was more of a hobby than anything. And doing that gained the attention of my now leader, Tyler Lassard, VP of Marketing at Vidyard. 
and he was starting this new venture called Salespeed, and he wanted someone who was experienced with sales, who was great at making content, both entertaining and educating, edutainment style, and that's, he just said, hey, are you interested in doing this? Initially, I was skeptical because like you said, dark side, marketing and sales aren't aligned. Ah, oh, marketing, me, never. I'm too good at sales. But then when I heard more about the role, I was like, this sounds like a dream job. Creating content all day for sellers and really making videos, which is a passion of mine. So I, I couldn't take it. I couldn't turn him down. And that's how I ended up on the team here. And now my role is really making content all day long for sellers, but also jumping on webinars, podcasts, representing SalesBeat and the Vidyard brand as they're, they're linked very closely and really just being a evangelist in the, the B2B sales community on LinkedIn, getting involved in meetups. It's almost like being a professional influencer. I really hate that word. It makes me cringe a little bit, but that's the simplest way to explain it. Sounds like the dream, to be honest. Sounds like the dream. The results speak for themselves because as we've already mentioned, you're following, having followed you for the last year or so, it's just been so clear how quickly you've grown and being a testament to a lot of the great stuff you're putting out there into the community. So we're here today to talk about CRM. I'm sure everyone who's listening to this knows what a CRM is or has had uh, exposure to a CRM at some point throughout their career. But for those who are perhaps in the dark a little bit, could you just summarize in you know 10 seconds what we're talking about when we say CRM well? Yeah, I suppose the simplest way to put it is CRM is a record of customer interactions that is generally used by mostly the sales team, but also sometimes the marketing team to keep track of prospects and forecast pipeline. I love that explanation. What I love about it is you didn't use the word like platform or tool, because as you and I both know, a CRM can be run in a fully fledged feature rich platform tool piece of technology, but it mm -hmm. can, and it often is run in a, something as simple as a spreadsheet, you know, depending on, on that company and, 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 and how they, how they run operations, which leads me to my next question, which is tell me a little bit about a CRM horror story that, that you've oh, uh, experienced in your career. What's the worst way that you've ever seen a CRM being used or indeed misused? One of them is what you just said, Excel spreadsheets. That is really bootstrapped. The, the, what I actually find worse is someone who's actually gone through the effort of building their own CRM. Homegrown mm -hmm. CRM is enough to put fear into the, any salesperson because you know it's, it's not going to work well. It's going to be clunky. You know it's, it's going to be slow. And I actually used one of those at a previous company. And it was so bad that the team weren't adopting it. Nothing was being tracked. Everyone hated it. But because they'd invested so much money in building this thing, they were almost too stubborn to walk back on it. So it was a complete failure of a CRM. It was just not doing anything it wanted to. People didn't use it. If they did, it was wasting their time because it was so slow and clunky and not intuitive at all. So it really was a huge waste of money and time even using it. And I just spoke to someone who's still at that company that's still trying to make it work now. And at this point you think, wow, you could have invested in even the most affordable of CRMs and had a much more effective setup than this. I think that's a really good point. And I think, you know, just to kind of riff on that a little bit, it's also, you know, to, you know, fit a square peg in a round hole. And by that, I mean, using a different tool that is not a CRM as a replacement CRM, you know, piece of kit. For instance, I think, you know, I've worked in companies where NetSuite, which I would describe as something like a kind of financial modeling yeah. tool, accounting tool being used as a CRM. And on paper, you can kind of see how people end up in that situation because it allows you to input 
deals and it allows you to track pipeline and it allows you to kind of see where the revenue's coming in from and and what have you but it's very kind of like bottom it's, it's suitable for kind of like more of that bottom of the funnel piece of the story as opposed to kind of a new biz dev prospecting piece of piece of the puzzle and you mentioned there a poor tool encourages bad behavior or indeed a lack of behavior you know that's that's exactly what i've seen in, in the past as well where people just don't enjoy using it it's not easy to use it's not easy to extract data out of and as such they just don't put anything in it and that's kind of missing the whole point right it is already a huge hurdle to try and convince salespeople to update a, even a good crm so if you put the extra hurdle in of putting an ineffective or you know horrible crm in place that isn't easy to use that isn't designed to be a crm that's homegrown or an Excel spreadsheet, then that's just putting an extra barrier up to an already existing challenge that most sales teams face, getting reps to record what they've done. Why is it important for this tool to be set up and used correctly from as early on as possible? The importance grows with the, the scale of the business, but almost every business needs to know what they have coming in. If you don't measure something, there's no real way to improve on it. So I'll give you an example here. Let's say we're looking for the stages of a sales cycle. If we're not measuring where we're losing clients, then we have no indication of where we need to improve on our process. So let's say we start with a cold call and then it becomes an opportunity and that opportunity gets a presentation and that presentation gets a proposal and the proposal gets a contract and then it's closed one. If we don't measure how that's going, we have no idea how we're performing as a business. Now, that's one side of it. That's the more the performance management side of things, more the diagnosis of how well we're doing as a sales team and how we can improve. The other side of it is the rest of the business relies on the sales team for revenue. And often those forecasts that salespeople or the predictions of what the salespeople will close is how the business will decide how to allocate funds for future growth. So budgets are relying on what's in the CRM, uh, budgets for the marketing team or even operations and engineering. And if that information is incorrect or completely present, then you're just stabbing the dark when it comes to planning anything else in the business. So it's really important to have that visibility for the sellers, for the sales team themselves to manage performance and make improvements, but also the rest of the business so they can forecast and make budgets accordingly. And if you don't have that, then you're, you're really just playing guessing games. Absolutely. And I think to kind of look at that also from a marketing standpoint as well you know my, my background's working predominantly in kind of big enterprise b2b environments professional services predominantly long long sales cycles short windows of sales opportunity and you know market research customer research is tough sometimes for marketers in those instances because there are barriers to going out there and speaking directly to, 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 to your end users, to your end customers, basically. Be that because, you know, they are incredibly senior and won't take the time to actually sit down with a marketer and answer, you know, like a 15, 15 question interview on like where, what they're doing in the space, where they're spending time on channels. So, you know, as a marketer, you look to the CRM for information that's going to help guide your decision making and that also extends to attribution you know and lead sourcing and things of that nature you as a marketer are looking to optimize your spend and make sure you're putting the money into the right channels yeah. and a good place to start other than just emailing or calling all the salespeople directly is the crm you know the, the business that we're winning where are they coming in from where is that demand being being captured and if that's not being collected from from an early stage from day one 
it can make the ongoing strategy incredibly difficult to evolve because you haven't got any insights to guide it. That's a really great point as well, because marketers may be tracking everything up until when it gets to the sales team. So you might be thinking, wow, we've generated 50 leads from this particular campaign. And that's great for us. But if you if you actually, if those all 50 of those are getting disqualified in the CRM, but that's not visible to you, then you think you've done a great job when in reality, none of those 50 leads are closing. So that isn't actually an effective strategy, but it looks good on paper because you have a black box that's preventing you to see what's happening after that if the CRM isn't being used effectively. I think another aspect of this is also administrative work. You know, speaking to some of my sales colleagues and roles uh, that I've held before, you know, when a CRM, when a, when a well-oiled CRM is not in place, yeah. it greatly increases the amount of time that people are spending each and every week just, you know, trying to consolidate information into places where the people who need to access it mm-hmm. can access it. And usually that involves just writing the same report over and over and over again for different audiences, you know, for your board, for your executive team, for your manager, what have you, or sitting in endless meetings, you know, status update meetings, you know, where is the business coming in from? What deals are active? Which ones have we lost? Why have we lost them? You've got 30 people staring at each other on Zoom getting paid, you know, a lot of money just to basically hear things that they could read, you know, in in five minutes in in a CRM. There was, I I did a bit of research once with some sales colleagues in a situation where we didn't have an effective CRM. And I found out that they were spending approximately 30 hours each. And this was like in a 50 person sales team per month on manual data entry. I mean, that's that's just shy of a whole week being spent on doing something that could easily be captured and should be captured in a tool like a CRM. So I think that's another important reason why this needs to be set up right from the beginning is it just saves everyone time and time's money. And I mean, maybe it's something we might touch on in a bit, but when people hear CRM, you think that it needs to be a manual process of even updating that. But you can integrate your CRM with all kinds of things, which will actually save reps really getting involved at all and doing any of that grunt work, putting the info in, because you can integrate good CRMs, ones that aren't homegrown or very archaic systems like don't want to call them out again, but NetSuite is one that is notoriously hard to integrate with. More modern CRM will connect with the rest of your sales tech stack and marketing stack so that way everything comes together cleanly and you're actually reducing the amount of work it is to see the full picture. Yeah. Whereas if it won't do that, then you've got these siloed areas of data that don't connect and therefore you're, again, manually reporting a lot of stuff. I think it's important also to emphasize here that this is such a kind of fundamental piece of a go-to-market, a new age go-to-market commercial strategy. It is very difficult to roll out new strategies and new campaigns with a strong degree of confidence they're going to work if you don't have that core infrastructure in place to effectively measure and track what's happening you know, uh, against your customers and against your prospects. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, as I'm sure you do too. There's a lot of talk from marketers around demand generation, demand creation, demand capture, new way of you know marketing B2B businesses. And from experience, I can say that it all makes intuitive sense, right? Like marketers should be creating demand in channels, which then sales are going ahead and, and capturing. We should be educating the market, building brand affinity, building brand awareness, so that when a customer is ready to buy when they have that intent to buy you know they're coming to us and you know 
if you don't have that kind of CRM in place to actually track what's happening and be able to kind of give yourself a holistic view of the customer journey, you can spend a lot of time building new campaigns, building new strategies and rolling them out and have, you know, next to no data or insight at the end of it to tell you if it actually worked. From your perspective on the kind of sales side of the aisle, is there a way that you want marketing to be using a CRM that makes your life as a salesperson easier? Context is in incredibly important when it comes to net new leads. If I know how, I think this is really important as well because it often come from automation. For example, if you're using Salesforce, you can often have this flow from Marketo or if you're using HubSpot, you can have it flow from the marketing engine of HubSpot through. It, when I, as a salesperson, if I'm getting leads come, sent to me from a marketing campaign, I want to know as much context as possible before I reach out to those leads because it will generally allow me to craft that message in a better way or move it to the top of my funnel. If I know this is warm, then I, I really need to know that. So it's about waiting leads and giving the context there. And that will mean that your, your sales team have more ability to follow up. Because otherwise, if you give everything with the same brush, well, there's no way to prioritize. You know, There's no way to plan for that. There's no way as a seller to even know what I should do first or what leads I should talk to or where they came from or how warm they are or what problems they might be facing that we can help with. Whereas if you tell me this came from a webinar that happened yesterday at 2 p.m. and the webinar was about uh, problem X, Y, and C and how to help with that, well, then I can actually craft a really good message and get to them as soon as possible because time to uh, time to c connect is really important in sales. And that's a big disconnect I see with marketing sales is there isn't enough communication of where these came from and really how sales should appropriately follow up on them as well. You mentioned kind of lead scoring there, lead waiting. Um, is that something that you feel, you know, marketing should be solely responsible for defining or is it more of a collaborative effort? It's, it's, it's one of the things that, oh, well, we're going off a tangent here. I, I've seen lead scoring done well and done poorly, more so the, the latter, because it, it's often arbitrary metrics. So like, oh, they've opened eight emails. Well, that gets scored like a thousand. If they opened eight emails and didn't take any action, they're actually probably one of the least warm leads we have yeah. because they opened eight emails and didn't do anything with them. If they, if they click two emails, I'm much more, I want to talk to that person, right? So I think the scoring really needs to be aligned. And I think that can come down to a conversation between marketing ops and sales ops. Or if you have a combined function of rev ops, then that person should really have a good idea and be able to map out the whole customer journey. I, that's such a unique position. If you don't have either of those things, then market, uh, marketing and sales leadership need to be clear on that customer journey. Because sometimes I've been throwing these like, this is super hot. I'm calling them, they're like, no, leave me alone. Your company keeps emailing me, stop. <laughs> Well, then I'm going to be less inclined to follow up with the next great score lead who actually might be interesting, who actually might be really engaged because the scoring stops mattering if it's measured on the wrong things. Do I have a solution for that? No, I haven't worked in marketing enough myself to, to be able to say that I have a solution for all that. So maybe I'm just pointing out problems, but perhaps the solution is having a better understanding of customers or a better scoring system that doesn't rely on vanity metrics to score a customer high. Yeah. Well, my next question was going to be, do you think that there is a perfect solution to this or at least, you know, like a perfect solution that doesn't require constant iteration and evolution. And based on what I've seen throughout my career, the answer would be no, you know, like 
you, everyone can start with the best of intentions and mm. develop a lead scoring qualification system that makes sense when when we first develop it. But until you've got that engine running, until you've got that CRM in, CRM in place, until you're kind of tracking and collecting insights and redistributing them around the team, and you know really identifying what where are we winning business, where are we losing business, where is, where are things falling falling out through the funnel, you know all of those all of those different factors, you know affect your your lead scoring, your ongoing lead scoring and qualification criteria. It's not a static thing. It's it's incredibly dynamic over time. Yeah. I think dynamic is the best way to put it. Constant measuring. Just because you decided it should be this way last week doesn't mean you can't wait to change in two weeks when you see it's not working. We can't be too stubborn. And we've always got to remember that we're all working towards the same goal. Salespeople mm. want to book meetings and close sales. <laughs> like they're, they're directly incentivized to do so. The issue is, is when you get to the point where you get this misalignment where sales ends up rolling their eyes because they know the lead isn't a lead. So it's constant communication and real collaboration. And that can only really happen when you have two departments that are led by people who, are, who believe that as well. So it comes from leadership. Great point. Do you have any core principles for setting up an effective CRM? Do it right the first time and don't overcomplicate it. Um, do it, do it, do it, choose the right system. And, and in my mind, there are several wrong systems, but the right system is going to depend on your business. I think your key criteria need to be integrations. Tech stacks are only getting bigger. Things need to be connected. Having siloed systems is not an effective strategy for anyone. Sellers won't use other tools. They won't use the CRM if they don't connect to each other. So make your main criteria, the ability for integrations, the, um, ease of use of the system, the ability to customize it, but never go too deep on customization. I find people have this need. They're like, my business is the most unique thing in the world. So I've got to build all these things that specific with this. In reality, you're, there are, you know, most companies are more similar than you think. And everyone thinks they've got this unique instance of needs, but in reality, they're not. So try and avoid overcomplicating it. Talk to other people who have implemented CRMs, the pitfalls they've had, um, and and get it right the first time because it's much harder to go back on these things. If you choose the wrong CRM, a CRM change is one of the hardest things to implement in your business. When you've already committed to a CRM, like I mentioned the horror story earlier, it becomes so much harder to walk back on that because transferring of data becomes very lengthy and expensive. Do it right the first time. That's the best piece of advice I can give and don't overcomplicate it. Choose the right system for you based on integrations, based on your industry, and then commit to making that work. Yeah, that, that makes absolute sense. And I think really sound advice. And I think, you know, to your point about it being one of the hardest things that a company or a commercial function can go through, you know, you already alluded to it a little bit earlier on, trying to convince and persuade people to adapt to a new system and adapt to new processes is so, so hard. And particularly if things have been operating in a, in, a, in a certain way for a long period of time and people have just developed bad habits or they perhaps have a vested interest in, in keeping things as they are because they just don't want to take the time to learn new systems and learn new processes. It yeah. can really stall and, 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 and halt growth. You know, what would be your advice in terms of persuading people to get on board? You know, we've made a new decision. We're going to take on a new CRM. Everyone needs to get behind it. You know, yeah. how, how should businesses persuade their sales team, their marketing team to, to jump in two feet first. 
you've got to make it very transparent and clear what's in it for them. What is the benefit for the user to make use of these tools? If you don't, then you're just mandating something and once again, we're having eye rolls and grumpy reps and, you know, grumbling, which is no good for anyone. It's bad for your culture as well. So always make it clear what's in it for them. And for me as a seller, having a good CRM and making use of a good CRM means that I have to do less work, not more. I get better visibility into how I can improve as a sales rep. I can get good coaching from my manager. I can have a better understanding of, let's say if I'm working 30 deals at any one point in time, I can get better visibility so I don't drop the ball on any of those and I can close more of those. You've got to think about the benefits for each user and make that very clear to them rather than just saying, hey, we're using this new thing because we said so. Hmm. Hmm. That's great, but if you do enough of that, people get met, fed up and miserable, might even leave the company if you, if you leave with that type of leadership too often. You've really got to, one, understand what's important to people and then two, articulate that benefit for them with the... And I think just to kind of extend on that idea a little bit, you know, great, one of the great things, one of the kind of best tactics I've used in the past is starting with like a, like a control group you know, mm-hmm. if you are migrating from one system to another and introducing a new set of processes, find the people who are actively asking for something to change and just start with them, right? Because that's another thing you have to consider, right, is business risk. If your company has a system in place that is like performing at 50%, it's still performing at 50%. And yeah. there could be a resistance from leadership to just rip out everything and start again, lest yeah. we, you know, lose another 25% of efficiency, productivity, and, and, and data and whatever. Um, so sometimes it makes sense to start with a small kind of control group, five, 10 people who have that interest, that enthusiasm to try something new, yeah. get some results with them. So it's not just saying, hey, this is going to change your life. It's showing, well, you know, yeah. these people have already done it and look how many more deals they've been able to close over the last quarter. Get some strong champions, exactly that. And if you do that, people don't want to hear it from someone who's got a vested interest in trying to convert you. It's like being sold something. Whereas if your friend says this is great or your colleague says this is great, well, then you're much more likely to adopt it. So build some strong champions on the team, knowing who's great at being an early adopter and choose people based on those traits to be that test group that you mentioned. Excellent stuff. Well, I ask this to everyone who comes on to B2B Better, and I'm going to ask it to you as well. What's the biggest change in how B2B companies will market themselves over the next five years? I'm biased because I'm leading this charge in my company. Social. Um, a lot of the way we've measured things typically has been very lead gen focused. I think we've missed this huge opportunity that sits above our current funnel of where people are discussing products with their friends where they're seeing things on social media, where you're getting mindshare before you can even track it. One of my people, someone who worked very well known in the B2B marketing space, Chris Walker, often talks about dark social. That's a real thing that you need to be thinking about. How people buy now is they use communities, they use their network, they use what they already know to make decisions before they even start researching tools. So stop measuring that as the beginning when you first get someone to click on something. There's something happening before that. And that's hard to track, which is why it's hard for companies to, to see the value. But I think more and more companies are now seeing, wow, stuff's happening before we even know it's happening. And that's what you need to be focusing on, the mindshare community, the conversations that are happening about your awareness. We could do a whole episode around that. And you know, how do you persuade organizations to adopt that line of thinking? And that's a hard, that's a hard thing to convince them. 
Well, this has been a fantastic one-on-one on CRM, and I really appreciate you bringing the sales perspective to this conversation. Where can people learn more about you? LinkedIn and TikTok. So we'll like in on both of those, but also sales feed is where I put a lot of my stuff as well. So LinkedIn for sales feed, Will Aitken, and TikTok, same again, sales feed, Will Aitken. Excellent. I'll drop the links to all of those in the description of this episode, but otherwise for today, Will, thank you very much. It's been beautiful. Thank you so much, Jason. And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you want to learn more about how to win new business through modern day marketing, head over to my website, www.jasonrbradwell.com for a ton more interviews with marketers, creatives, and storytellers on the strategies that they're deploying to create demand with B2B buyers. It would also mean a lot if you could leave a review of this podcast, hit subscribe, or share it with a friend. Bonus points for all three. It's all massively appreciated. You can follow me on Twitter at Jason R. Bradwell or connect with me on LinkedIn. See you next time.